0: Hello and welcome back to this ACE Oncocast entitled Expert Review on Innovative Strategies in Locally Advanced Head and Neck Cancer. My name is Rob Coleman and I'm a medical oncologist at the University of Sheffield, UK. I'm delighted to be joined today by three leading head and neck cancer experts, Dr. Ezra Cohen, a medical oncologist from the University of California, San Diego, and two radiotherapists, Dr. Jonathan Schoenfeld from Dana-Farber Cancer Institute in Boston, and doctor Junggen Tao from gustave Roussy Villejuif, France. Thank you for joining me again. In today's ACE OncoCast, our clinical experts will be discussing the experience to date with immunotherapy for locally advanced head and neck cancer. Having discussed the, the current gold standard for locally advanced head and neck cancer, let's now return to the potential use of immunotherapy agents to improve outcomes of course, immune checkpoint inhibitors are now standard of care for many cancer types, including those with relapsed or metastatic head and neck cancers. Ezra, can you please explain the rationale for studying immune checkpoint inhibitors in patients with locally advanced disease and what we've learned from trials such as Javelin 100 and pembro and REACH? Sure. Uh,
1: and And you... Really explain the rationale or summarize the rationale uh, quite well. The these agents, anti-PD1 and anti-PDL1, uh, primarily have been uh, approved in recurrent metastatic squamous cell carcinoma of the head and neck. It started in platinum refractory patients, the the so-called second line, and uh, anti-PD1 as a single agent uh, was superior with respect to overall survival to Uh, standard of care chemotherapy. These were both uh, nivolumab and pembrolizumab. Uh, Pembrolizumab was then uh, moved into first line uh, in the Keynote 048 study. And again, uh, demonstrated superior overall survival uh, pembrolizumab alone in patients whose tumors express PDL1, and pembrolizumab with chemotherapy in uh, tumors that uh, had a uh, PDL1 CPS less than one. And so, with all these encouraging data in the recurrent metastatic setting, the natural thing to do was to bring these agents forward into the locally advanced and, and curative setting. And there were preclinical rationale for doing so as well. We now understand that uh, radiation uh, can have a positive immune effect. Uh, and for instance, radiation can increase the expression of MHC, it can increase the expression of pdl one It can free uh, neoantigens for further processing by antigen presenting cells and a more robust or uh, diverse T-cell response. So, and in fact, in preclinical models, combination of anti PD1 or anti PDL1 with radiotherapy proved to be efficacious. So, there was a lot of enthusiasm to taking these agents into the front line. The first large study to do this was the Javelin HN100 that added an anti PDL1 antibody, a Valumab, to standard of care cisplatin radiation, high dose cisplatin standard radiation therapy. Avalumab was begun one week prior. It was continued throughout chemotherapy radiation. And then there was a maintenance phase for up to 12 months of Avalumab alone. And this was compared to uh, placebo and cisplatin radiation. But this study was negative. The primary endpoint was progression-free survival, and uh, the study was stopped early at interim analysis for futility. And in fact, the hazard ratio for progression-free survival was 1.21. And this study was not negative because of adverse events. Avaliumab was delivered um, with the expected toxicity. It was not negative because of lack of standard of care delivery. Uh, cisplatin and radiation delivery were fairly similar, if not equ- uh, equivalent, between the two arms, and it was not negative for lack of delivery of maintenance of Velumab. In fact, about um, uh, two-thirds of the patients were able to have six months or more of maintenance uh, Valumab. And so we're left to wonder why Javelin uh, HN100 uh, was negative. And of course, there are a lot of hypotheses around that, but it made us realize that simply adding an anti-PD-1 or anti pdl one antibody to standard therapy may not be the answer. We had further evidence of this, actually, in the PEMRAD study. This is a trial that enrolled patients who were cisplatin ineligible, and randomized patients to either pembrolizumab radiation or cetuximab radiation, with the primary endpoint being local regional control. And again, this was a negative trial. No difference in local regional control, progression-free survival, or overall survival. And then lastly, and most recently, there was a presentation of the REACH trial, which was a very interesting and elegant design. The experimental arm, for two cohorts was the same. It was a map, again this anti pdl one antibody, cetuximab, and radiation. And the two cohorts were cisplatin eligible and cisplatin ineligible. The control arms were different between those two cohorts, as you might uh, guess. For the cisplatin eligible, it was high-dose cisplatin and radiation. For the cisplatin ineligible, it was cetuximab and radiation. We had mature data for the cisplatin ineligible, and although there appeared to be a difference in the curves by adding a map, essentially a valumab cetuximab versus cetuximab alone with radiation in both arms, it was not statistically significantly different. And interestingly enough, when the investigators looked at the platinum eligible arm, what they saw was almost the exact same. Uh, results as we saw in Javelin 100 with Avelumab, Cetuximab radiation being um, not being superior to cisplatin radiation. And so now we're left with three randomized trials that have attempted to simply add an anti pdl one or anti-PD-1 antibody to standard uh, therapy in different settings in squamous cell carcinoma, the head and neck, that have not proven to be superior to cisplatin radiation. There are other studies that we're awaiting, uh, such as the INVOKE trial that uh, uses uh, atezolizumab, an anti pdl one antibody, purely as adjuvant therapy and compared to placebo after patients complete curative intent therapy. And of course, the Keynote 412 trial that is similarly designed to the Javelin 100, uh, but uh, uses pembrolizumab instead of avelumab. So there are more data sets uh, coming. Uh, We're hopeful that uh, we will see some positive data in the near term, but I think the the real... Uh, answer is going to be, we have to rethink the paradigms around how we use systemic therapy and radiation in the context of immunotherapy and begin to explore different ways to deliver standard therapy if we're going to integrate immunotherapy. And I think we do need to integrate immunotherapy if we are going to improve outcomes for
0: these patients. Thanks, Ezra. And, and John, do you, do you have any additional comments to make on what seem to be rather disappointing results to date?
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I, I completely agree with kind of uh, Ezra's last statement that I think that, um, you know, we, we certainly need to continue to look at this strategy. Um, but unfortunately, like you said, based on these disappointing initial results, um, that the strategy is probably going to be a little bit more complicated um, than just uh, layering in um, immunotherapy on top of standard chemoradiation. I, I think if you take a step back, and again consider the trials that, that Ezra mentioned, you know th- those trials, you know, basically looked at standard chemoradiation therapy and the addition of uh, immune checkpoint blockade. And so you have to look at kind of go back and see what are the mechanistic reasons why why this or, or selection issues, why these studies may not have succeeded. You know, is it a patient selection issue? You know, can you select a group of patients that's more likely to respond to immune checkpoint blockade using pdl one expression status on tumors or other factors that predispose these patients to responding well to immune checkpoint blockade? Uh, is the choice of agent, you know, pdl one inhibitor versus PD-1 inhibitor? I mean, we have some, most of the data so far is, with the exception of the Rad study, is for the addition of a pdl one inhibitor. So I think it'll be interesting when these other studies, um, you know, using Pembrolizumab, you know, the data comes out and does that make a difference? Um, and then to Ezra's point, you know, most of the promising preclinical data that have shown uh, positive immunologic effects from radiation, Uh, doesn't really recapitulate the way that radiation is given for your standard locally advanced head and neck cancer patient. Uh, When you uh, give radiation in preclinical models, you're mostly looking at giving a single fraction or a few fraction of radiation, higher doses of radiation to an implanted tumor only, uh, and not treating a large elective volume. And and that's not the way we do standard head and neck radiation therapy or chemoradiation therapy, where we're treating these uh, patients for multiple weeks with smaller radiation fractions, and not just treating the tumor but also a large volume of elective um, treatment to, to lymph nodes and to other areas that are at risk of having tumor spread. And I think what we're learning is giving this larger volume of radiation to lymph nodes where immune responses are generated, giving radiation over multiple weeks, might in some ways counteract these positive immunological effects that we've observed in preclinical models. And to what extent this contributed to the disappointing results of the initial studies uh, combining immune checkpoint blockade to, to chemo radiation is, is unknown. But I think it just highlights the need to kind of look at the paradigm, reexamine the paradigm of how we give uh, chemo radiation when, when we do it in, in the context of adding these immune checkpoint inhibitors.
0: Thanks, and, and Jungen, Ezra's already talked about some of the studies that we're w- awaiting the results on, like Keynote 412 and, and others, but any, any comments on the ongoing studies, and, and particularly any comments on uh, whether we should be biomarker-selecting patients, because uh, we're kind of treating everybody the same, it seems, at the moment.
3: Yeah, uh, just as uh, um, Ezra mentioned, there are also other uh, large-scale uh, phase 3 trial, ongoing uh, waiting for the, uh, the rea- result, such as the Keynote for, uh, twelve, the similar uh, design as the Javelin, and uh, it's using uh, Pambolizumab and the high-dose uh, um, cisplatin and red therapy, uh, versus placebo and uh, cisplatin uh, uh, red therapy. Um, The uh, difference is uh, uh, ten months after therapy. uh, uh, We use uh, pembrolizumab, and more than eight hundred patients enrolled in this phase trial. However, just as uh, uh, in Javelin trial, there is no real uh, biomarker. Uh, There is no stratification uh, based on a uh, PDL1 CPS or TPS. Yeah, uh, uh, there is also other trials such as, the uh, box uh, trial just mentioned by uh, uh, Ezra. Um, it's uh, uh, only one, I think, uh, adjuvant only adjuvant immun uh, checkpoint inhibitor uh, after uh, surgery, radiotherapy, the or chemotherapy. The and uh, um, I don't think there are uh, any stratification based on the PDL one. Uh, uh, CPS or uh, TPS in this trial. Okay. Uh, hopefully, these two trials could be presented uh, this year uh, in ESMO. Um, we have also other uh, phase three trial, such as uh, um, French trial, Cortex-2018-01, um, uh, um, uh, NIVO Post-Hop trial. This is a phase three trial. Uh, for a uh, resected uh, head and neck cancer after surgery, we randomized the patient into cisplatin high dose and the radiotherapy versus cisplatin radiotherapy and nivolumab during radiotherapy and after radiotherapy for six months. This is also uh, ongoing, and uh, uh, we don't uh, have uh, stratification uh, uh, based on the uh, pdl one uh, or uh, CPS. Um, um, I don't think that the large-scale uh, uh, phase three trial, uh, uh, for instance, could be based only uh PDR one positive patients. they uh, uh, the only one, uh, uh, phase three trial is the Keynote 689 trial. This is a uh, um, uh, neoadjuvant uh, pambolizumab. Uh, before uh, surgery uh, trial, and the patient will be stratified uh, uh, with uh, TPS of uh, uh, pd one uh, expression. But it's not a, a trial, uh, only for PDL one uh, positive uh,
0: patients. Yeah. Thank you. And just to kind of conclude this this section, John, you know, in many other areas, disease areas, we're using new adjuvant or adjuvant uh, immunotherapy. How's this approach being investigated in this disease setting? Yeah. Uh, no rationale. You know.
2: Yeah. No. It's a it's a good it's a really good question. It's a very exciting area. I mean, I think there is. Uh, uh, exciting preclinical rationale um, and just kind of mechanistic rationale for giving immunotherapy upfront uh, to these patients and these locally advanced patients. you have an intact tumor, intact lymph- lymphatic drainage, you know, kind of more uh, able to generate an initial anti-tumor immune response potentially with upfront immunotherapy, and that's been uh, suggested in preclinical models. You also have patients that might be more apt to respond to immune therapy and that they haven't received previous treatment that can potentially suppress the immune system, such as large volume radiation delivered over many weeks or, or chemotherapy. So, you know, it's, it's a very promising uh, uh, area to, to investigate the use of immunotherapy upfront. Um, And the the benefit is is potentially quite significant that you can enhance local control of the tumor uh, potentially by giving immunotherapy up front and then standard therapy. Um, And you could also potentially give rise to a systemic anti-tumor immune response, which can affect the likelihood that that these locally advanced cancers will, will come back in the future. Um, To that end, there have been several uh, promising uh, early uh, stage kind of uh, investigational trials looking at upfront uh, PD-1 inhibitors or or PD-L1 inhibitors uh, that have uh, in general shown that these agents are safe uh, to give to newly diagnosed locally advanced patients and patients that are surgical candidates. The initial data uh, does not seem to suggest there are serious safety issues or concerns about uh, leading to delays for curative surgery in, in this group of patients. Um, and uh, there are some significant responses. I will point out that although the response rate does seem to be potentially greater when immune therapy is given upfront as opposed to in the uh, recurrent or metastatic population, you know, it's still a minority of patients. Um, it does, at least major pathologic responses uh, do in the early data seem to suggest that these patients um, you know may do well down the road. So if you have a pathologic response and you are uh, one of these patients that does demonstrate a response up front, uh, you might have uh, be less likely to have the, the tumor recur, but that needs to be validated in, in future larger trials. And, and the other thing that, that is exciting is the possibility of of combining single-agent immune therapy, PD-1 or, or pdl one uh, inhibition, with either other immunologic agents, such as CTLA-4 blockade or other immune checkpoint inhibitors, or with potentially chemotherapy in order to uh, maximize initial response rates, and hopefully that'll translate into long-term benefit. Um, as Dr. Tao mentioned, you know, this, in general, this approach of using neoadjuvant immune therapy uh, is being investigated in a, a Keynote 689 study. So we will hopefully have uh, look, more uh, extensive data about this approach soon.
0: Well, thank you, Ezra, Jonathan, and Jungun for another great discussion. And thank you all for listening stay tuned for the last episode in this series as we discuss promising novel strategies for enhancing the efficacy of chemoradiotherapy for locally advanced head and neck cancers such as the targeting of inhibitor apoptosis proteins <laughs>